More the point was I went through all that coursework and I enjoyed it. And now 30 years, 35 years later, I'm kind of circling back to it. But I think once you get the designation, you have it continuously. And for any listeners who want to kind of learn commercial real estate, it's an intensive program. But if you go through it, trust me, you'll be armed with quite a bit of knowledge to kind of look at these deals and understand markets. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, as always, Yona Weiss. I am so grateful. What a beautiful day or night or whatever time you're listening to this podcast it is. It's always a beautiful day. And I am so grateful to be joined today by Arn Senadella, who is uh, out of South Carolina and just living the life, right? I'm so happy to finally get a chance to speak with you here. And you're someone that we can all learn from. I mean, really, that's to be honest, in so many ways. And we're going to get a little bit into your backstory uh, and what you've been up to lately. So uh, welcome to the show, Arn. Yeah, thanks, Yona. Really nice to meet you kind of in person, face to face. We've done some business together and you've helped me out. So it's good to have this time personally where we can just sit and chat. So yes, uh, happy to be here. Absolutely. And currently you are the founder of Spark Investment Group, which is a multifamily right, real estate investment group. You've uh, participated and acquired a number of properties recently and are just scaling that business. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but a little background, maybe you can give a little more context here, but you've been in the real estate business for probably you know almost as long as many of our listeners have been alive. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but anyway, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Or more. But you you started off and and many years, for decades, you were a residential broker. And I'd love to, and dealing with that investment sales, love to hear how you transitioned from that, a career in that. Obviously, it was successful. Most people don't stay in that job unless it is successful. And in transitioning into a more sophisticated, uh, I would think, area, which is, you know, syndication and real estate development and, you know, what you're doing now? Yeah. So, so great question. So I got out of graduate school a long time ago, 1978, have a master's degree in physical chemistry, but never did anything with it. My father had a residential brokerage business in Menlo Park, California, which is basically Silicon Valley, uh, probably more widely known next to Palo Alto. And he was kind of an old school investor, built his wealth buying single family homes. So being the good son that I am, I kind of modeled his behavior and built a fairly sizable single family portfolio, all the while blessed selling real estate and probably the best residential market in the world. So I have to be thankful for that. And maybe about seven years ago, moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and kind of a life transition. I don't know if it was retirement. Uh, The definition of retirement has changed quite a bit over the last decade, two decades. And 
I became interested in multifamily investing. It started with a phone call with a young investor friend of mine here in Greenville. And uh, that kind of set me off on the journey. It made a lot of sense to me from a business point of view. And the other part of it is it's kind of fun to learn a new aspect of the real estate business. It's still residential. It's still dealing landlord and tenants, providing housing. Most of the stuff I do is kind of garden style apartments. So the construction, the vintage, the systems are all very similar to single family homes. I'm not selling, you know, 50 story high rise condos in downtown Miami, for example. So uh, it was a very familiar asset to me. And I made the transition and it's been quite fun and still enjoying learning a lot. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's a big learning curve. Obviously, you have a lot of experience in a very different set of uh, of rules, but they all play together. I mean, there are so many things that I'm sure have overlapped in this. Uh, would you say that's uh, pretty fair? Meaning people who come from a brokerage, a brokering standpoint and dealing with investors all the time. Yeah. So I've always been a real estate investor, both for myself and with my clients. Certainly I sold homes to people who would occupy them. But kind of the analysis of the value of the property, determining kind of cash flow, net operating income, tax aspects, 1031s, that's all very familiar to me. And I think most people understand that investing in real estate is probably a good thing to do. Coming from Silicon Valley, of course, lots of people have sizable net worth and stock portfolios. So speaking to those type individuals and just suggesting that they diversify a certain percentage of their portfolio into real estate, into hard assets, tangible assets, makes a lot of sense to them. And of course, A lot of them are working 60, 70 hours a week, you know, and they don't want to deal with tenants. They don't want to deal with hassles. Maybe they don't have the knowledge and experience. So when you can offer these high income, higher net worth individuals, the benefit of real estate without the hassles, I think intuitively most of them get it and they're happy to diversify their portfolio. For sure. That probably makes it easier for you. I'm sure you have like a a database bigger than most people would. Well, I don't know about bigger, but I developed a loyal clientele in 35 years uh, working. And uh, I was never about being the number one agent in the office. I just wanted to do a good job for my clients. And we always talk about know, like, and trust. I think my clients know they can trust me. And I often tell them, I may not always be right. Okay. I make mistakes. I can't see the future. But what I tell you is what I honestly believe. So I'm not infallible, but whatever you hear me say is what I actually believe. And I think people respond to that. They understand world events happen interest rates go up and down, things happen. And there are a lot of factors outside anybody's control that affects an investment. But if you talk to them straight and they trust you, it's a good place to start. 
hundred percent. But like you said, it's a loyal database. And I think the thing that all of us, uh, especially those of us who are uh, investors from the investor side, from the passive investor side, are looking for someone who has experience. But more than that, we're looking for someone who has honesty and integrity. You know, and because you've built that credibility up over the years, it's very easy for people to say, okay, listen, this guy has done as well over over time. He's always been straightforward with us. He had built up that reputation. I think that's the number one thing we're always looking for. And uh, to your credit, right, you you've been in the business for long enough that it's it's carried along with you. And I appreciate what you said at the opening about generally people don't last 35 years in real estate brokerage and investment unless they do have a certain level of success. And uh, so I think that's very perceptive. And the other thing is, from a business point of view, retaining your current clientele is always a good move. Keeping your current clientele happy and satisfied is a lot easier than trying to generate new clientele. And you certainly know that in your business, right? You've helped countless syndicators help their investors reduce the tax burden. They come back to you repeatedly because you've performed. And and it's great to work with people that you know and trust. It just takes one other item off my plate or your plate to get the job done. So it, it all works. Absolutely. Now, when you moved uh, out to Greenville, South Carolina, was part of that move inspired by the, you know, obviously you said you only came to it later on to, to the multifamily investing. But what I'm, what I'm thinking is, I, what, are, what were your motives? Let's just, let's go there if you don't mind. Yeah, we're moving out yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a great question because trust me, many yeah. of my friends back home in Silicon Valley thought I was a little nuts yeah. moving to South Carolina. <laughs> you know, I mean, do they even have internet? I don't know. We got to <laughs> find out. So no, the move was more based on lifestyle and wanting to make a change. My longtime partner, Bay Area resident most of her life, worked for Intel, Visa, and Intuit. So she had the big Silicon Valley career. Not that she was a techie, but she worked for those companies for many years. And we were just ready for something different. And Greenville fit a lot of the aspects that we liked. And I always knew I would keep investing. And when I got here, of course, coming from California, everything looked very inexpensive. So it was easy to, you know, make the transition and start buying real estate here. And I built up a rental portfolio here. I had a kind of an active flipping business too. But then when the multifamily kind of came on the radar, it really made sense. And and just to back up, when I entered my residential career in the mid-80s, I went through all the CCIM coursework. Okay. And that's a fabulous designation for commercial investors. So I went all through the coursework. I have a master's degree in science. So I kind of have that analytical mind, but I was just starting a family at that time. And it was pretty hard to give up the lucrative existing residential brokerage to go to the wild west of commercial brokerage. So I stuck with residential. And so it's interesting how life circles. Now that I'm at a place, a different place in my life, 
it kind of intuitively called to me. And I can tell it's a good fit because I have a certain level of passion and energy for it. And when you're doing the right thing, you feel the passion and energy. It gives you a clear answer. You're on the right track. Sure. Is the the CCIM designation, that's something that you need continued education for or update that uh, license or whatever that is? Or is that like you have it forever? Well, I actually just took the coursework because then in order to get the designation, you actually had to go out into oh, gotcha. the commercial world and develop a portfolio. So I never got the designation. More the point was I went through all that coursework and I enjoyed it. And now 30 years, 35 years later, I'm kind of circling back to it. But I think once you get the designation, you have it continuously and For any listeners who want to kind of learn commercial real estate, it's an intensive program. But if you go through it, trust me, you'll be armed with quite a bit of knowledge to kind of look at these deals and understand markets. That's amazing. Yeah, we've heard we we had a couple of guests in the previous uh, episodes talk a little bit about their experience with the CCIM course. And uh, it, it sounds incredible. It's a very kind of elite group of people who take the time and effort and energy to to go through that whole thing. So kudos to you for doing that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's transition a little bit because now you obviously have, have spent a couple of years working on and actively investing in the, the multifamily space. Do you still have any of your residential portfolio or is it something you've just uh, kind of focused your attention on fully into the commercial, into the multifamily? Uh, uh, Great question. So as we sit here and speak, I'm in escrow to sell one of my remaining single family homes. I have the home I live in. I have one other single family rental. I have a duplex and I have a fourplex. So those I'll probably keep, but basically over the last year or two, I've liquidated maybe 10 of my single family properties and put that into multifamily investments, both as an LP and a GP. And fortunately for me, considered a real estate professional. So I've been able to use the bonus depreciation tax write-offs created through cost segregation to yeah, what's offset that? the yeah, what's that? I don't what? know, Jonah. Maybe you can fill us in on that. We but, never talk about that on this. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but so the beauty of it for me is I could sell and I have gain that theoretically I should have paid taxes on. But with the multifamily investment and cost seg and the fact I'm an active real estate professional, I can use those losses due to cost seg to offset the capital gain. So I didn't need to 1031 out of these properties. I was able basically to offset the gain. So it's only available to real estate professionals, why that developed and why the honchos in Washington, D.C. set it up that way. I don't know. I just play by the rules and that's the rule. Yeah, that's that. That's crazy. Um, but it is crazy. I, I don't. I constantly talk about like why this thing, this anyways, this whole bonus depreciation and cost segregation even exists because it really, it doesn't really make so much sense from a, you know, logic standpoint. Uh, we try to figure out ways. Oh yes, real estate people, uh, you know, help the economy tremendously, and there's some truth to that. But at the end of the day, when you think about it, it's just like. 
Okay, we'll take it. We don't need to. We don't need to dig too deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and it's similar with opportunity zones. The the intent is to foster investment of dollars and kind of lower income areas. Of course, the way they draw the maps for the census tract, it's not always low income right. areas that are in opportunity zones. So uh, we don't have to get all political, but yes, the tax code is very complicated. Does it need to be that way? I don't know. Can we change it? I don't know, but that's beyond my pay grade. Yeah, me too. I, I just keep it simple. <laughs> you know, we take advantage of it. We try to use it then. You know, beyond yes. that, not not to dig too deep into that, but yeah, tell me a little bit about now that you are focused on the multifamily. Like, what is your what is your main focus, and and how do you see yourself going forward in the coming years? Sure. So, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, which is in the northwest part of the state, kind of midway between Charlotte and Atlanta, 90 miles to one, 120 miles to another. We have BMW and Michelin here. It's kind of a booming economy. It's a great market. And so I think my focus is in the Carolinas. I don't particularly enjoy flying. So I'm never going to be a multifamily syndicator that flies to Phoenix one week and then to Indianapolis the next. It's not what I want to do. So my focus is in the Carolinas particularly Greenville, South Carolina. And my typical deal size now has been three, four, five million. I look to increase that as time goes on. But I think I want to kind of be a local operator in markets that I know. There's a lot of great data out there, CoStar, and you know, there, there's data all over. But I think real estate is still very local, local, local. You need to know the markets. When you're looking at these deals, most of the time they hinge on where do you think you can bring rents, right? And so you really need to know the market like the back of your hand. So if you're an operator and you own 10 deals in Phoenix, I would say you know the Phoenix market, even if you live in San Francisco. But I think that local knowledge is critical. And for me, investing other people's money is a big responsibility. So I need to have a degree of confidence in what I'm doing to be able to tell you to people, this is good. I want you to invest with me. I believe in the product. And for me, I kind of have to know the market. So I think I'm going to kind of be a localized syndicator, hoping to get a little bit bigger, but it's always going to be in the Carolinas. And that's kind of where my competitive advantage is. And that's where I'm going to stay. For sure. Being a local presence and knowing the market very well, studying it as, as you're obviously doing is a huge advantage, especially with growing markets like Greenville and, you know, South Carolina in general has increased its population, you know, much more than, than almost any other state out there on a percentage wise basis. And is, I think, continuing to do so. Yes. So being a local presence there gives you great opportunities, not only for yourself and your partners, but also for, uh, you know, for the future. Uh, obviously, since it's growing, you're going to, you know, buy up as much as you can now because it's, it's just going to keep going up. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting. And we all know cap rates are at historical low for multifamily. We know 
price per door is at an historical high. We all understand that. And of course, there's always this debate. Well, are we at the top of the bubble or prices insane? Should we not buy? Is all I can say is selling houses in Silicon Valley from 1978 to 2014, I can tell you there were numerous times everybody and the experts thought prices could never get any higher. They're crazy. And of course, we were wrong. So I think we all need to have a little humility. The way I look at investing is you make your best decisions based on the best available data you got. You can't predict the future. You may have some thoughts, but the truth is life is going to come your way. The economy is going to come your way. And you just need to adjust as those events unfold. And as a syndicator, I think your primary responsibility is to operate that asset professionally and efficiently because that's really what you can control. I can't control what the Federal Reserve Board does. I can't control what happens to the economy. But if I do a good job running the property, I feel I've done that. I've met my duty to my investors. So you got to have a little humility here. I mean, to think about our last two years, who would have ever thought in 2020, a virus would have set our world upside down. Nobody. So who knows what it's going to be in 18 months? Yeah. It could be something totally strange. So anyway, uh, (laughs) it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely something we got to just roll with the punches and you know, having having been through many market cycles and and seeing things up and downs, obviously it gives you a lot more settlement of mind, I guess, to to know that hey, things could happen and we just got to go with it. And I think uh, that's one reason for diversification. I think one great thing about being a passive investor is you can invest in the Southeast. You can invest in the Mountain West. You could have a couple Class C deals. You could have a couple Class B deals. And so It's almost like a smorgasbord that you can kind of pick. It's the same idea of creating a diversified stock portfolio or buying mutual funds to create some diversification. As a passive investor, you have a great opportunity to diversify. And I think in a crazy world, one way to minimize risk is through diversification. Absolutely. That's excellent advice. Wise advice, if I might say, uh, coming from Aaron. <laughs> but, I, but I love it. I want to transition now to what we call the final four. And these are four questions that I ask all my guests. And first one is going to be, what is the worst job that you ever had? Well, that that's a good one. So probably late high school or early college, when I'd come home during the summer, I worked at the New York City Food Mart across from Rikers Island. And so it would be a big food warehouse. And I'd have to get there about 5 a.m. because basically all the little grocery stores in New York City would come to the food mart to pick up their produce for the day. And I was responsible for making sure somebody who paid for 10 crates of oranges put 10 crates on his truck. So I had to get there at 5 a.m. 
dirty, stinky warehouse across from Rikers Island, which is the New York City prison. So it was a little bit rough, but I did it for two summers, you know, happy to make the money. But yeah, that was probably my worst job. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, pretty yeah. awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. It, it, you know, you do what you can and uh, everything worked out. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I'll, I'll take your word for it, but, uh, okay. <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah. No, to me, um, what, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Uh, so this would be more in the range of personal growth as opposed to business. And it was one I read many years ago and it's the power of now. And mm. basically what it kind of says is if you stay in the moment, the moment's okay. Right. Yeah. When you kind of regret about the past or you worry about the future, that's where you can kind of get in trouble, where if you just kind of stay in the present moment, uh, you tend to be a little more happy, happier, more productive. So the power of now made a big difference in my life. 100%. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome book. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. If anyone hasn't read that book yet, check it out. Third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Well, I wish I could sing, but I'm horrible. Go. So I got about a two note range. So I'm never going to be a singer or a rock star. <laughs> All right. Well, it, there's some some probably uh, voice lessons or something in your future, maybe. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's in the card, Jonah. So it's all right. Uh, <laughs> I just think that's that's the way it goes. You know, some people are blessed with talent, others aren't. So that's how it goes. <laughs> okay, no problem. Yeah. And fourth and final question: What does success mean to you? Uh, so that's a great question, and I would say success means living a good life every day, kind of good life work balance, having productive activity, but also socializing, having family and spiritual activity, having recreation activity. One person once said, creating a life you don't need a vacation from. So if you think about that, you create a life that is full and rich that provides everything that you need to kind of feed your soul, which also includes productive activity. I believe humans need to be productive. Yeah. There's self-worth there, but there also needs to be time for relaxation and fun and socialization. So success to me is creating a life that provides that. And I would say I've been fortunate to create that and a lot of it has to do with real estate investing. When I got into the real estate business, my dad was one of the few local brokers who actually invested. And he understood the brokerage business is a great way to create income, but investing is the way to create wealth and financial freedom. And I think once people kind of get that, uh, that's a paradigm shift. So good work-life balance is what's success to me. I don't need to be number one. I have simple tastes and I just try to live a nice day-to-day -day life. Absolutely love that balance. It's really the key to everything. I mean, it's the key to life, the world, the universe, everything exists in balance, in homeostasis and however you want to call it. But love that. Thank you uh, so much 
for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. Uh, well, not all of your wisdom, but I meant all of the wisdom that you did share with us today. There um, may not be much left, but anyway, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure there's much more. But where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Sure. So I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, either under Arn Sinadella or Spark Investment Group. My website is investwithspark.com. Go there. You'll get lots of good education material about syndication, multifamily investing. So happy to talk to people about real estate. It's a passion of mine and uh, like to help other people get the benefit of it. Awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us. And thanks to our listeners also for joining us on this wonderful journey that we like to call a podcast. Thank you again. And remember, until next time, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.